Well, again, good morning, Vintage Church. Um, Lindsay did such an incredible job introducing me. I'm not as cool as she made me sound, uh, but I am Steve Smotherman Jr. I uh, pastor alongside my dad at Legacy Church in Albuquerque. He's also been here. I've been here several times, and um, I want to give honor to your senior pastors, Pastor Stephen and Kyla. Uh, they're great friends of mine. Uh, I tell everyone Pastor Stephen's probably one of my best friends uh, in life. We hang out together a lot. He was actually at our church this last midweek, preaching Tuesday and Wednesday, so we've been hanging hanging out all week, having a great time. But can we thank God for Pastor Stephen and Kyla for the gift that they are to the body of Christ, that, that he encourages me when I'm going through it. Uh, he's a great friend. If I'm going through something, I usually call him because he's like, dude, quit being soft. Like, you're okay. Like, it's going to be good. And so uh, they're great friends of mine, and I like to give Dr. Martin a hard time. And every time I they, they come around, I introduce her to people. I'm like, this is Dr. Martin. She's like, my name is Kyla. And she gets uh, real like that. So I have a great time with them. Well, I uh, they said I also do mental performance coaching. I have, I've, I've had the honor. I do sports psychology is, is what it is. And I, have, I get to work with some professional college athletes and teams. Uh, one of my uh, more recent teams, and I know we're in Texas, but the Ohio State University. I work with their baseball team. We didn't have a great year this year, but we're building a program. Um, and I'm not a University of Texas fan at all, so I apologize in advance, but I'm just not. I'm originally from Oklahoma, so boomer sooner. Okay. No, I got no sooner in here. <laughs> Pastor Steven, you left me hanging. <laughs> I was looking for you. Well, we, we are here in a series uh, called Unbreakable, talking about the life of Joseph. And so I'm going to jump into this story in Genesis chapter 37. We're going to pick up the story there uh, in verse 12. I believe here we stand as we read the Word of God. So if y'all want to stand with me as we uh, read uh, our, our passage to get this started. Genesis chapter 37, verse 12, the Bible says, Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back to me and give me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for? he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? 
We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites who were Midianite traders came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone! What will I do now? And the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. You may be seated. So you see in this story, Joseph had had these dreams of his brothers bowing down to him. His brothers got upset, right? He was the favorite child. I don't care what any family says. There's always a favorite child. I was a middle child, so I understand that I wasn't the favorite. Um, and, but in every, you know, he was the favorite. Da they, they all got robes. Joseph got a coat of many colors. Joseph was dressed better. He was treated better. Uh, and and I, you read the story, and it's like, man, dude, you know, snitches get stitches, and you told your son to go be a snitch on his siblings, right? Like, you, you, you set him up for this, dad. You sent him and said, come back and tell me what they're up to. Don't do that to your kids, right? That's just setting them up for some sibling rivalry. But what we see is because of the dreams, because of all this, what happened in the situation is his brothers became bitter and resentful. And if we're not careful in our lives when others are doing well or we're not getting what we think God should be giving us or things aren't working out the way that we thought, we can become bitter and resentful towards people, towards God, towards church, towards other things in our lives, if we're not careful and we're not guarding ourselves, having the right mindset, thinking about the right things, we can become resentful. And when we get bitter and resentful, we do things that we should not do. We start to think things and then act on things, right? Because TBT, thoughts become things. We start to dwell on it. Here comes the dreamer. Then they start talking. They're resentful. What are we going to do with them? Let's kill them. No, let's throw them in this. No, now let's sell them into slavery. Let's do all of these things. Why? Because they became resentful. So what I want to do today is talk about four mindsets that if we can adopt and practice them, right? Because Mind, mentality, mindsets take practice. It's not going to happen overnight. Uh, but if we can adopt these four mindsets, it'll help us battle resentfulness. It'll help us battle bitterness. It'll help us to overcome and to have the mind of Christ and to think like Christ. So the first mindset that we need to adopt is we need to literally say to ourselves daily, not just right now, not just, oh, it's a cool thought, but daily, is tell ourselves this. I am thankful for the opportunity to do, and then I have a blank. Fill in the blank. So for some of us tomorrow, I am thankful for the opportunity that I get to go to work. Some of us are like, I don't, I'm not thankful for that. I'm thankful that God gave me the ability to work. 
I'm thankful that God gave me the ability to do this. I'm thankful for the opportunity when I'm working with athletes. I'm thankful for the opportunity uh, to, to pitch. I'm thankful for the opportunity to play football. I'm thankful for the opportunity to play basketball. I'm thankful for the opportunity to play Division I golf. I'm thankful for this opportunity that I have. Today, I'm thankful for the opportunity to go to church. I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to work with my boss, who I hate, who annoys me, who I'm getting a little resentful and bitter towards. And everyone's like, well, my boss is bad. Your boss is not as bad as King David's boss was. He was literally sitting there playing the harp for him, and his boss was throwing spears at his head. Now, if you're living in America today and your boss is doing something like that, you're probably in an illegal job. Now, I know some of us might be army people, so there's the enemy, but your boss is probably not shooting the bullets at you. That it's not in America unless you're doing something illegal, and then we have a different conversation. But David had a horrible boss, but you know what he kept doing? He kept showing up, and he kept choosing a good attitude, choosing to be grateful versus resentful. See, Joseph's brothers were upset. We're not getting what Joseph has. We're not loved the way Joseph is loved. But if we could adopt the mindset that I'm just thankful that I get to be a part of this family, whether I feel like it's fair or not, because nothing is fair. It's funny, you have parents, you always tell kids, life's not fair, but then it's interesting that when life's not fair to those parents, they throw temper tantrums and fits like a toddler. I call it tossing their toys. You see adults do it all the time. I'm not getting my way, but yet you tell your kids to not act that way, and then you wonder why they act that way. Because they watch us complain about our jobs, murmur, complain, whine. The Bible says to do everything without murmuring and complaining. That means I need to do, and then it also says to work willingly at whatever you do is unto the Lord. So that means tomorrow when I go to my job and I don't feel like it, I need to grow up and learn to act different than how I feel. Why? Because feelings aren't facts. I don't feel like waking up every day. I don't feel like dealing with people every day. But what I tell myself every single day, I practice this. I practice it. I say, God, I'm thankful for the opportunity to deal with this today. Even though I'm not liking it, even though it's going to be uncomfortable, even though it's not my favorite, I'm thankful for the opportunity that I have. And thankfulness is a, a position of where God can truly bless our lives and increase our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Rejoice sometimes. No, it doesn't. Rejoice always. You know what always means? Always. All the time. Regardless of how you feel about it. Regardless of how they're treating you. Regardless of what's being said to you or done to you because I'm a victim. No, God didn't create you to be a victim. He created you to be a conqueror and we are more than conquerors through Christ. So I'm thankful. Rejoice Always pray without ceasing in everything. You know what everything means? Everything. Give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. People always talk in church world about, I want to know what the will of God is. You know what the will of God is? Learn to praise when you don't feel like it. Learn to rejoice when you don't feel like it. When you face trials and troubles and tribulations, count it all joy. It's hard to count it joy, though. But you know what we've had a good job doing in life? Practicing not counting it joy. So in the same way that we've practiced the wrong thing, we can practice the right thing. And even though you don't feel like it, but it doesn't feel real, preacher, that's fine. Practice. Motivation follows movement. 
actions have to, fall, to, to lead into our feelings versus our feelings dictating our lives. Our actions need to dictate our lives. So it doesn't feel real, preacher, when I wake up and say I'm thankful. That's fine. Keep practicing, and eventually it'll become real. Because what we've been doing is practicing the opposite, and guess what we're getting? The same results. We think we're going to just keep doing the same old thing, and it's going to get better. It's not going to get better until you get better. You can go to another job, but you're going to hate that job too. You can start a new business. You're going to hate those employees too. It doesn't change unless you change, unless I change. I'm going to go to a different church. Well, you're going to take your junk to that other church too. They're not going to have a magic pill for you because you know what the magic pill is? The Bible says the way to know God is to be obedient to his word. And if we refuse to be obedient, people tell me all the time, preacher, I need, I need some more depth. I'm like, let me just ask you a real question. Everything you already know about the Bible and the word of God, do you do that 100% perfectly? <laughs> no. Like if you're a part of this church and you don't serve, you're already not doing something you know you're supposed to be doing. So I can't give you anything else until you're willing to do with what God's already given you. And I don't know about you, but I got enough. I don't need any more. I'm trying to just figure out what little bit I got right now. I don't, I don't have it yet, so I don't, don't give me more. I don't want more burden. Jesus said, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not a burden, but rest. And if I'm doing what he's told me to do, I'll learn to find rest. Right? Life's taught us to stress out all the time. That's why we got to adopt these mindsets. I'm thankful for the opportunity because it gives us rest in our soul when we're feeling some type of way. Some of y'all are going to have to practice this today because you're feeling some type of way about my aggressive personality while I'm preaching. And you're going to have to go and you'll be like, God, I'm thankful that I had to listen to that Yahoo today, even though I don't feel like it, but I'm thankful that this happened. There's a cool story in, in, in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. It's the story of Jesus. It says, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. The man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. What I want us to see here is God notices gratitude. And our lack of gratitude, our lack of thankfulness is also noticed. See, all the men were healed of leprosy, but what he was telling this man is your faith has actually made you whole. Not only did the physical get healed, but your spirit is now healed because you acknowledged who I am. See, God notices my gratefulness, and he also notices my lack thereof. He notices. It's important to him. It's important that uh, living in a thankful and grateful position, it's central to our life of faith. It's the only way we can make it through because the reality is we're all going to face stuff. We're all going to have issues. We're all going to have problems. We're all going to face something in our lives, and we've got to learn to be grateful. We've got to learn to be thankful through the adversity. We've got to be thankful when, when I'm working with some of my 
minor league pitchers when they're not getting the call-up that they feel like they deserve and that they've been pitching for, or, or some of my, my hitters when they're going through a slump. I'm still thankful that I have another opportunity to get up to the plate and try again and work again. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. It's hard. I'm pushing through. I'm thankful. So I says pray without ceasing because sometimes it's like, preacher, I've prayed a lot. How long do I got to pray? Like, this is a lot. A lifetime. Because we want it quick. We want it now. You got to pray forever. You got to rejoice always all the way up until Jesus either returns or you go to meet him. And then guess what you're going to do for eternity? We're going to worship God. So we got to practice now. We got to practice thankfulness. We got to practice gratitude. And oftentimes it's because some of us live on this roller coaster that everything good that happens are we're super high. And if something bad happens, we're super down. You know, there's a story about an old Chinese farmer, and they had him and his son were had a they, they had a little property. They had one horse, one horse that they could do some work with. And one day, the pin was left open, and the horse got out and ran away. The son goes to his father and says, "Dad, this is horrible. Like we had one horse, and now he's gone. We have nothing in our lives now." His dad looks at him and says, "Maybe." A few days later, this up at the, 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 the hill up, up, up near their property, all of a sudden he sees the horse. And behind the horse, he brought 30 extra stallions with him. And they're all coming back, and he leads them all into the pen. The son comes up to his dad. Dad, this is the best day ever, man. We got 30 of these dudes now. We can get some work done. We can start like a breeding pro. We can do a lot, Dad. His dad looks at him and says, Maybe. A few days later, he's trying to break one of the stallions, and as he's doing it, it ends up kicking and shattering his leg. Can't walk, completely shattered. Goes to his dad, Dad, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. We get these horses, and now, look, I can't even walk. Can't do anything. Dad, this is horrible, isn't it? He says, maybe. About a few weeks later, he's laid up, still leg shattered. Their country goes to war, and they... What they're doing is going and getting all the young men and making them go into the military for this war. One of the generals shows up to their property, and he goes to the dad, and he says, hey, we need your son. Didn't have a choice. It's join or die. He says, yeah, well, unfortunately, my son, look at him. He'll be no good in battle. He can't even walk. His leg is destroyed. He can't do anything. General, seeing the son, says, you're right. He's no no use to us. He can go ahead and stay home. We're going to go to the next place. After they leave, the son looks at the dad. He says, Dad, isn't that amazing? I didn't have to do that. Isn't this the greatest? And his dad says, maybe. See, the point of the story is no matter what happens to us, we've got to adopt the attitude of maybe. Because not everything that you think is good for you is good for you. When you're a little kid and you think eating Pop-Tarts is good for you, it's not good for you. And not everything that you think is so bad is actually that bad. Because, see, we serve a God who turns bad things into good things. Later on in the story of Joseph, he says, what you meant for evil, God turned for good. Not, we've got to learn to live a life that's not the roller coaster of emotions. Have your little moment. What I tell some of my athletes is I say, after your game, if you had a bad game, you have one hour to be upset about it, one hour. You get one hour, say all the bad things you want to say, tell yourself how bad you are, all of that, be mad at the code, be mad. You have one hour. And then guess what you're going to do after an hour? You're going to get over it and you're going to move on. For a lot of them that have families at home, I said, don't take that home. You have one hour. I tell them, shower well. 
Some of you need to start using your nighttime shower as a way to literally mentally say, I'm just washing this off. The day was bad, that's okay. Sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. And just because today was bad doesn't mean tomorrow has to be bad. I tell everyone, you get one bad day, don't, just don't get two in a row. You can have a bad attitude today, but you better fix it tomorrow. We don't get to have two in a row. We wake up the next day and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So here, how do you practice that? You get up in the morning and you say the scripture over your life. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. But I don't feel like it. Well, then grow up. Because you know who acts how they feel? Kids. If we're going to grow into some spiritual maturity, we got to grow up and act different than how we feel. You say, but I am a grown-up. Yeah, but I know people in church that are 90 years old that still ain't got that figured out. Well, preacher, I didn't like how loud it was today. And people, I have people tell me all the time, you know, God's not deaf. He can, he can hear. I say, yeah, but he also doesn't just whisper because I can't hear if it's... <laughs> and, and you know the other thing for me for worship? I don't want to hear myself sing because neither do y'all. <laughs> These people can sing. I can't. You don't want to hear it. I do not like hearing it. When I start hearing my voice, I'm like, oh, be quiet, Steve. Like, you're not in the shower at home where you think you sound good. Like, you don't sound good here. We have to have an attitude of thankfulness. I am thankful for the opportunity to do. Second mindset we have to adopt is I am, and I, I use them as I am statements because you got to speak this over yourself. I am aggressive and relentless. I'm aggressive and relentless in my pursuit of God. I'm aggressive and relentless in my faith. I'm aggressive and relentless in whatever I face. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. We have to be aggressive and relentless in our approach to life. When we're facing obstacles, we're facing things. Be aggressive, be relentless. We've got to be saved, but not soft. See, a lot of times people think, we got to come to Jesus, and now we're all soft. We are not soft. If you're soft, I don't know that you actually know Jesus, because Jesus wasn't soft. This is my favorite thing right now. I'm saved, but I'm not soft. Test me. Like, I'm saved, but I'm not soft. I get to work with a lot of UFC fighters, and those dudes are not soft when it comes to fighting. And I get to, they, they've started to be like, hey, you're doing all this coaching with us. Come in the gym and train. And I'm like, man, y'all are killers. And I'm just getting my butt whipped over and over. But I'm not quitting. Like, I'm getting a little bit better, but I'm getting my tail kicked all the time. And it's like, this is when you find out, am I, am I soft or am I not soft? And you know what I found when I'm training with them? The less aggressive I am, the more whooped I get. So I get a little more aggressive, and I'm still getting whooped. But like, it, 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 I feel better about it because I'm like, at least I went for it. See, some people get stuck in inaction because we're worried, like, well, what if it doesn't work out? I don't know. Just be aggressive and relentless. Listen, the question becomes, are you predator or are you prey? Are you predator or are you prey? The way I say it is eyes on the front like to hunt, eyes on the side like to hide. Look at the animal kingdom. Animals with eyes on the front are the predators. They're going to go kill the prey. The ones on the side are the ones trying to hide. What you need to do is go to yourself every day, look in the mirror, and see if your eyes are on the front or if they're on the side. And here's what I know. God made us with our eyes on the front, so we got to go hunt. 
We got to go get the things that God promised. We got to go get the promises of God. We got to go get what we want. We've got to be aggressive. We got to be relentless. We're not hiding from the enemy. We're going after him. We fight. We go. We don't just go to Timbuktu and go hunker down and wait for the end times and hide our lives. Because if everybody does that, then no one's going to make it to heaven. Jesus told us to go evangelize, not to hide, not to be afraid. We've got to aggressively and relentlessly go after the lost. We've got to aggressively and relentlessly pray for our families. We've got to aggressively and relentlessly pray for God to move in our communities and in our, in our workplace and all of that. We've got to be aggressive and relentless. Relentless means I'm not quitting just because it's difficult. The third mindset that we have to have is I have no fear of losing. My hyper-competitive people, I, well, I, I'm scared to lose. I am not scared to lose. I tell my batters at the plate, if you're scared to strike out, you're probably going to strike out. If you're scared of that pitcher, uh, one of my fighters that I work with, he's a top 10 heavyweight at Bellator MMA. And, you know, in, in, in mixed martial arts, they all have nicknames, right? It's uh, Chuck the Iceman Liddell was an old one, right? George Rush St. Pierre, they all have these nicknames. Well, the nicknames, if you start to build it up when you're a fighter, um, you know, you start to think of their nickname and who they are and what they've done, it can create some fear in you. Even though you know you're a bad dude or a bad chick, like you're like, man, but they're... So when we work, what, what he's adopted, and it's really cool, he's like, I don't even think of their, la their, their nickname at all. I just like, this is this bum, and I'm all day. Because his name is Davion All Day Franklin, right? And he's like, my, I'm all day, and he's a bum. I'm going to go in there and murder this dude. He's pretty confident in himself in that. But what he's done is he said initially he used to think of their nicknames and all this, and he said it builds it up to where you get in there and you're like, this is really the guy. Like, he's here. And you're literally getting locked in a cage with another animal. Like, you gotta, you got to process that. But he doesn't have a fear of losing. Sometimes we build up things. I'm, what if I lose? But what if you win? And if we're really going to adopt this mindset, we, we have to understand there's no winners and losers in life. There's winners and learners. Losing is only final if you allow it to be final. When I lose at something, it's just a setback. And I'm so competitive, we could be playing whatever, and if you beat me, I want to play again. We could be playing ping pong, and I'm not even good at it. And I play with some people that are killing me. And I'm like, again, again, again. But what happens is they get tired. And they might have beat me 30 times, and I get one win, and then I'm done. <laughs> and they're looking at me like, what the heck? And I'm like, I'm the champ. They're like, I just beat you 30 times. I said, but you didn't beat me the last time. <laughs> I keep going. I'm not afraid to lose because here's what I know. When I lose, I'm going to learn something, and I'm going to get better, and I'm going to adjust. When I lose a spiritual battle, I'm going to adjust. Maybe I wasn't listening to the voice of God. Maybe I was afraid. Maybe I wasn't aggressive and relentless. Maybe I always adjust so that the next time, I'm better. The next time, I'm sharper. The next time, I compete better. The next time, I don't quit on myself. I don't quit on God when I'm facing something, when I'm going through something. Why can we have no fear of losing? Because the spirit of fear isn't from God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You can't win in the spiritual race with God and the spiritual journey, and we can't win if we're afraid. Feel the fear, do it anyway. You say, fear is an emotion. Yeah, it is, but it's not going to dictate my future. Remember, feelings aren't facts. I'm afraid. The way I tell people all the time is, when you're facing something that you're a little bit afraid of, I always tell them, tell yourself, it's not a bear in the woods about to eat me. 
my golfers, they're like afraid to hit a shot. I'm like, it's a little white golf ball. It's taunting you, but it's not a bear. It's not a bear about to kill you. It's literally a golf ball. She's not a bear. She's your wife. She may feel like a bear. He's not a bear. He's your... It's not a bear. It's your child. And you did something to create that. They may feel like a bear right there, but they're not a bear. We've got to tell ourselves, listen, it's not a bear. It's okay. I can do this. I've been trained. I've prepared. I've practiced adopting these mindsets so that I can do it. The last one, and I'll start to wrap it up with this, is I never, ever give up. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to do. I'm aggressive and I'm relentless. I have no fear of losing and I never ever give up. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart, if we don't quit. Think about Noah when he's building the ark, he never quit. Think about Joseph as now he's betrayed and he's put in jail. He didn't quit. He was Potiphar's house, then put in jail and all this. He never quit. He never gave up. He never gave up on his dream and he never gave up on his God. We can never give up. The only way to truly lose in life is to just quit. To quit. To hang it up and say, I'm done. But if you're still breathing, you got to still fight. If I'm still breathing, I got something left. And we've got to adopt that attitude in our lives. That regardless of what's going on, I got some fight left in me. I got something that I can keep giving. You say, well, it feels like I'm crawling good, then crawl. Preacher, life is just heavy. Listen, my life's had a lot of heavy things, but it's not going to stop me from doing what God told me to do simply because stuff sometimes sucks. Sometimes it's hard. Setbacks happen. Things happen. People happen. Most notably, the person you look at in the mirror every day happens to your life. See, some of us, oh, everybody else is bad. And I'm like, just look in the mirror because that person is probably 90% of your issues. Well, but they did this. They made me. They didn't make you. They may have acted a certain way. Your emotions took over. Then you acted the way you acted. Nobody can make me do anything. I used to say that when I was younger. They made me do it. You hear people, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You chose to do it. I chose to do it. Some of us say everybody else in the world has bad attitudes, and really it's us. We've got to check ourselves, our own lives, but we can never give up. We've got to do the mundane, OADB, on a daily basis. Do the boring things. Do the things that, man, I don't feel like doing this today, but God, I'm going to pray. God, I don't feel like doing this today, but I'm literally going to wake up and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. I don't believe it, but I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep it until it becomes my belief. I'm going to keep acting it until it becomes my belief. I'm going to act different than how I feel. And I'm going to do the small things well. Why? Because excellence in small things is excellence in all things. If I'm excellent in the small, I'm going to be excellent in all. Matthew 24, 13 but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And these mindsets are actually exampled in the life of Jesus. When we sinned and broke our relationship with God, Jesus was thankful for the opportunity that he had to come and save humanity. Knowing it was going to be terrible, knowing it was going to be awful, he was thankful and he was aggressive and relentless. He left perfection in heaven to live amongst humanity. 
He was aggressive and relentless. He didn't sit back. God didn't sit back when we sinned and did all that and think, yeah, these humans, they're going to figure it out. He knew we weren't going to figure it out. He knew that no matter what, we were going to keep living in sin. We were going to keep not figuring it out. So he didn't sit back, passively wait. He was aggressive and relentless and came to this earth to live the perfect life, to die on the cross. He didn't have a fear of losing. He kept going. He kept going. And he never, ever gave up. He had moments where he could have. You know, when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's betrayed, the Bible says he's praying so hard he's sweating blood. But what's interesting about the landscape there, if he'd have walked in a certain direction about 30 minutes, he'd have been in the Judean wilderness and he would have never been able to be found. So what's interesting is when you look at it, he's sitting there praying and he's saying, God, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Let me not do this. And he had a moment where he could have just walked. He could have left. He could have called down angels and said, I'm done. This is going to be too hard. These people aren't worth it. But he said, they're worth it. And he said, I'm not going to quit now. I'm going to go through all of this for them. All the way to the cross. All the way to death. All the way to the grave. But because he didn't quit, he rose again. And because he didn't quit, we can't quit. Because he didn't give up, we can't give up. He set us an example. And now because of that, he stands at the door and knocks. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them and dine with them and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Notice he says, to those who overcome. You know what that means? Life's not easy. We know that. Here's the deal. Whether you serve Jesus or not, your life is not going to be easy. You might as well get some help for the journey. Life's going to be hard regardless of whether you serve Jesus or not. People say all the time, oh, you come to Jesus and think it's going to be safe, and then, oh, it's dangerous. Life is dangerous without Jesus. But I just want some help on my journey. I want to know that the end of this journey is eternal life in heaven and not eternal damnation in hell. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me, if you're in here, though, you say, preacher, this is great, but I actually don't know Jesus. I didn't even know that he loved me that much to come and die for me and to give his life so that I could have salvation. See, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So maybe you're in here and you say, preacher, I've never given Jesus my life. And today I want to make that decision and say, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. Maybe you've given him your life before, but you've walked away and you say, today I need to recommit my life to Jesus to say that from this day forward, I'm going to follow him and I'm going to serve him. Or maybe you just say, preacher, I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know if I'd be going to heaven if I was to die. And I want to make sure that I don't leave this place not knowing that I'm right with Jesus. So if that's you, with every head bent and every eye closed between you and God, I just want to know who I'm praying with. If there's anybody in here at all, says, preacher, would you just include me in your prayer that I could give my life to Jesus right now? If you would, just raise your hand. If there's anybody at all, thank you. I see that hand. Is there anybody else that says, preacher, just include me in that prayer? There's no guilt or shame or condemnation in this moment. Thank you. I see that hand. The Bible says that when one person comes to repentance, all of heaven rejoices. There's no guilt, shame, or condemnation. There's going to be rejoicing in heaven and in this house. Is there anybody else? It says, would you just include me in that prayer? Thank you. I see that hand. If you raised your hand, I'm going to ask that you would do me a favor. I'm going to ask that you would repeat this prayer after me aloud so you can hear your own voice. More importantly, I'm going to ask that you believe it in your heart. For those of you that Jesus is already your Lord and Savior, if you would also pray this in support of those who raised their hand. If everybody would say, Father... I come to you now seeking salvation. So right now, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus 
is Lord, that you sent him to die on the cross for my sin and that you raised him from the grave. So Jesus, I give you my life. I ask that you forgive me of my sin and that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me and guide me in all your ways and in all your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.